0: There are excavations of Greece and Rome and so many other ancient locations, but in no other place can objects from an ancient city be put into the hands of the same people that dream about that city constantly and have returned to and rebuilt that ancient city that once was lost and then was found. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 92, Elat Mazar in the Palace of David, I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Eilat Mazar, who passed away this past year, was not only one of the most important and inspiring archaeologists in Jewish history, she was, in a certain sense, royalty in the field. She worked and learned at the side of her grandfather, the late and great Benjamin Mazar, who had overseen the original excavations around the Temple Mount after the Six-Day War. From her grandfather, Eilat Mazar learned to place the Bible at the heart of her work as a source of archaeological instruction. Mazar would therefore be overjoyed when a find of hers would suddenly bring someone from the bible back as it were to life thus for example articles about her describe her sitting at home late at night with a bulla a seal that she excavated from ancient jerusalem when she suddenly makes out a word shalamya and then mazar would take out a biblical concordance and with a sudden sense of excitement realize that she had uncovered an object bearing the name of a man who is mentioned in the latter prophets, someone explicitly in the book of Jeremiah. So, we can see in our imagination, with most of Israel asleep, she is awake, and the third Jewish commonwealth and the first are bridged in her home across the millennia through a bulla and a Bible. If there is a theme to Mazar's whole life, it was this. She brought the biblical world of Jerusalem back to us so that we could feel it, see it, touch it. She truly bridged the thousands of years and produced incredible evidence of Jewish Jerusalem from long ago. And because Mazar placed the Bible at the heart of her work, therefore, the passage that we study today led her to one of the most important archaeological finds of her career. Before we begin in earnest, a brief geographical introduction is in order. We tend to think of Jerusalem today as a series of hills, but the original Jerusalem was a fortified city built up one mountain. The Jerusalem of David's dreams can be visualized as an upside down exclamation mark with the point of the exclamation mark located on the Temple Mount, but the line extending southward. That line is where Jerusalem was. The original Jerusalem was just that line without the point and was located entirely outside of what is today called the Old City Walls. It is the steeply descending part of the mountain that you see when you exit the dung gate of what is today called the Old City. Occupied by the Jebusites, Jerusalem was protected on its highest point by a Mitsuda, a fortress, and because, as we mentioned yesterday, it had valleys on both sides, it was seemingly unconquerable. But, as we saw, David and his warrior Yoav succeeded somehow in overcoming Jerusalem's fortifications, and the site became known from that point on as the City of David. We are then informed That David asked an ally, Hiram, the Phoenician king, to help David build a palace worthy of a mighty monarch, one that would forever signify Jerusalem as the capital of the people of Israel. Chapter 5, verse 11. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Here, however, is where it gets interesting. Some decades ago, Kathleen Kenyon famously excavated the original Jebusite walls of Jerusalem, and also an enormous stepped stone structure at the northern end of the city. Kenyon theorized logically that this structure was built to support the fortress that protected the city at the highest point. However, within the original city that according to the Bible David conquered, Kenyon found no remnant of the grand palace that the Tanakh promises that David had built. There were those in modern Israel who sought to argue that contra the Bible, Jerusalem was a minor location in David's time, not a major city. But Mazar helped show how important a place Jerusalem truly was in David's era. The basis of the most significant archaeological discovery in years was predicated on one small, seemingly mundane word in the book of Samuel, Vayered, meaning, and he went down. Verse 16, But when the Philistines heard, that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. Thus, according to the Tanakh, immediately after David built his palace, the Philistines gathered. Vayishma David, we are told? And David heard? read, and he went down to the Mitsudah to his fortress. Assuming that David was given the news in his palace, as seems logical, that would mean that David dwelled in a higher part of the city than the fortress. But if, as archaeology indicates, the fortress was built at the highest point in the city, then how could David go down to the fortress? It must be, Mazar theorized, that David's palace was built further north, directly above the fortress and outside the original city. David's palace, then, should be found today, she argued, in land just north of the stepped stone structure. Land that, as it happened, actually had no houses on it and could easily be excavated. And so Mazar presented this notion in the 1990s to her beloved grandfather. As she tells us, quote, in 1995, not long before he passed away, I spoke with my grandfather, Professor Benjamin Mazar, of Hebrew University, about my idea. I told him I thought there was a high likelihood of finding remains from King David's palace near Kenyon's area H. Aside from the archaeological discoveries there, the site fit quite well with the notice in 2 Samuel 5.17, which describes David in the city of David going down or descending Yirad from his residence to the citadel or fortress, Mitsuda, The citadel or fortress to which he descended was, of course, the Canaanite Jebusite stronghold, the fortress of Zion, Mitsuda Zion, see 2 Samuel 5-7, that he had conquered a short time earlier. It is clear from the topography of the city of David that David could have gone down to the citadel only from the north, as the city is surrounded by deep valleys on every other side. End quote. And so, in 1995, Mazar conceived of this and sought to dig directly above the original city, directly outside Jebusite, Jerusalem. By 1997, she had published a piece and a picture in Biblical Archaeological Review with the words, dig here. But it was only in 2005 that her dream became reality. Mazar herself tells the tale, quote, I became a senior fellow at the Shalem Center, a research institute in Jerusalem for Jewish and Israeli social thought. At one point, I gave a lecture on my ideas to a seminar there. And the president of the center, Daniel Polisar, was so impressed that he decided to try to help. On a trip to New York, he mentioned the project to the chairman of the center's board of trustees, Roger Hertog. Mr. Hertog courageously took up the challenge to finance the excavation of the site, End quote. Dig, she did. And as Daniel Polisar described in his own tribute to Mazar in the Times of Israel, Mazar uncovered an enormous structure from the 10th century BCE, the age of David and Solomon, the remains of an edifice worthy of a king, an edifice that could not have existed had Jerusalem been a minor outpost. And in this structure were found objects belonging to members of later First Temple kings of the Davidic dynasty. What is unquestionable about this discovery is that it proves that Jerusalem was truly a great city as the Bible claims it to be, and that the Jerusalem of Jewish dreams, of David's dreams, can not only be seen, One can stand within it. One can go to the city of David and stand within the structure that she excavated. Because of Mazar's accomplishments, we can see Jerusalem through David's eyes. And it is with this in mind that a theological point pertaining to our passages is instructive. Why would David have built his palace outside the city walls rather than within? The answer, perhaps, is linked to David's desire to protect and secure the city from above. But, as Mazar herself also suggests, Another answer lies in David's dream to build not merely a house for himself, but one for God, a temple that would ultimately crown Jerusalem, standing higher than his palace and looming over the city. Precisely because David had conquered the unconquerable city, which was called now by his name, he needed to ultimately humble himself before God, thereby emphasizing not his own greatness, but rather his indebtedness to the Almighty. This, as we have seen, is the constant theme of David's life. It is what sets him apart. For whatever failings he may illustrate at any time, David always, always ascribes his extraordinary achievements not to himself, but to the Almighty. One particularly striking example can be seen from another tale in our chapters. After the conquest of Jerusalem, David orders the Ark of the Covenant brought toward the city. In contrast to ancient kings, who usually are worshipped like the gods that they believe they represent, David dances and whirls in front of the Ark, rejoicing and humbling himself in the presence of God. David is seen by his wife Michal, a princess of the house of Saul, who is shocked by the fact that this man who has become king is conducting himself in what she believes to be a very unroyal manner. Chapter 6, verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David dancing and leaping before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Michal makes her displeasure known to her husband, and David responds with a theme that we have emphasized again and again. That the house of Saul's notion of royalty and how kings ought to be exalted is entirely different from that of David. Verse 21 And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me leader over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I dance before the Lord, and I will yet be more lightly esteemed than this, holding myself lowly. Rabbi Amnon Bazak notes that Maimonides cites this passage, making David our object of emulation. In his discussion of celebration during the festivals, Maimonides writes, quote, anyone who lowers himself and thinks lightly of his person in these situations is truly a great person worthy of honor, who serves God out of love. Thus David, king of Israel, declared, I will hold myself even more lightly esteemed than this and be humble in my eyes because there is no greatness or honor other than celebrating before God, end quote. David, in other words, humbles himself before the Lord. That is the true essence of royalty and David seeks to imprint his notion of royalty on his capital city. Following this line of thinking, building a palace beyond the city walls may have served to point to Jerusalem's ultimate expansion, to include the center of Israel's faith, the temple. David then intended his palace to be for his subjects the conceptual bridge between Jerusalem's political successes and its sanctity, between Jerusalem as it was, and Jerusalem as it was meant to be. Thus, at the heart of Mazar's excavations, was not just the uncovering of incredible artifacts from the past, as important as that is. Her own research and her link to the Bible teaches us to see Jerusalem through David's eyes. It reminds us that just as David conquered Jerusalem and continued to dream of what Jerusalem could be, so did Jews throughout the centuries remembering David continue to dream of what Jerusalem would one day be. That is what ensured that the Jews never forgot Jerusalem. That is what ensured that the Jews would one day return to Jerusalem. Thus, this miracle... And the Jewish reverence for Jerusalem is in a certain sense bound up with Mazar's work and her legacy. There are excavations of Greece and Rome and so many other ancient locations, but in no other place can objects from an ancient city be put into the hands of the same people that dream about that city constantly and have returned to and rebuilt that ancient city that once was lost and then was found. Mazar always reflected the wonder of Jewish history, and especially the wonder of Jerusalem. And from her, we can learn to approach it with wonder as well. Mazar bore witness with her work to the Jewish love affair with Jerusalem. To look at Mazar's discoveries, to hold them or to stand within them, is to viscerally experience the endurance of Jerusalem in Jewish history and in Jewish hearts. As we study the chapter of the building of David's palace, we pray that Mazar's memory be for a blessing and that it inspire us to continue to see Jerusalem through David's eyes. This is Mayor Solovacic, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.